0: So with that, let me pray and we're gonna dive into the final part of our spiritual victory series. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness. And I thank you God for the incredible people at Southgate. Thank you for all my friends here online. Thank you for everybody in person. Thank you for all the people who played a hand in making our service possible today. And now as we open up the word of God, may you speak to every single one of us and everybody within the sound of my voice. Father, thank you for the word you have deposited in my heart. Give me your grace and your strength to carry out this message. Be with us now and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I was on another missions trip in Central America, and it was an amazing time, and we met with three people in Nicaragua, and uh, one of them was a drummer, one of them was an electric guitarist, and another one was a media guy. And they traveled with us throughout the whole country of Nicaragua and Costa Rica, and helped us in our worship and putting on services. We we ministered to a church a day for two weeks. It was an incredible time, and I remember when we went to the drummer's father's church. He was the lead pastor at that church in the northern part of Costa Rica, right in a jungle. It was gorgeous. And he had a church there of about eighty people, and we did a worship a time. And then I was next on the rotation of the pastors. Uh, to preach. And so I got to preach in this little church and I felt really led at the end to have all 80 people line up in the perimeter of the church and the few pastors uh, that were with me to go around and impart and lay hands on everybody and just to stir them up in the spirit. And we were going around doing this. It was, it was working really well. And then we got to a point where um, uh, a lady had fallen out and she was laying on the ground. And ushers immediately rushed to her with a bucket and some towels. They were also kind of rolling their eyes as if like, here we go again. And this lady was manifesting a demon. And she had her eyes darting, like looking around as to who was paying attention to her. And I just felt so strongly in my spirit that this lady was not oppressed or uh, possessed by a devil. There was some theatrics involved. There was some flesh and pride involved. I mean, you could see it on the usher's faces. You could see that she was looking out for attention. Everybody else in the church paid no mind to her as if she had done this often. And I just felt very confident in my spirit that this was man, that this was not a spiritual issue. And so very pastorally, I looked at her and said, shut up, shut up. And then I just said a very quick prayer over her and moved right along. And it was interesting because about five minutes later, she got up. She didn't throw up and she just got back in line and waited for the end of service. And it was the first time that I saw uh, really man in in the midst of trying to do something spiritual and flesh getting in the way. And it just makes me remember that the church can do some ridiculous things in the name of deliverance ministry. Man, we can do some dumb things that are man-made and have nothing to do with God. And see, there's a real need for deliverance ministry. There's a real need. People need freedom in the spirit, freedom from the influence of the devil. We know that it's out there, but Christians really need to be confident and informed properly on our authority so that we can do better in the church and not actually cause any harm. And there's just so many ministries out there, um, some that are very great in deliverance ministry and some, unfortunately, that are, Man, uh, they come up with some crazy thoughts. I know ministries where um, you have to confess sin before you can get free of a demon. Some people, they will actually go battling a demon and commanding it to uh, say its name, you know, and and to uh, 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 ask the demon what its name, almost interview the demon. And there's even one particular ministry where you're not fully free of a demon until you physically throw up. And if you don't throw up, the demon hasn't been exercised out of you. It's just some wacky things and hoops that we try to make people go through. And that's uh, not what we need to be doing. You know, right now, the world is really, really open to the spiritual aspect of, of the spiritual realm, the supernatural. I mean, we, we think about uh, scary movies. We think about Halloween coming up. People are actually interested and entertained by the supernatural. But unfortunately, Hollywood and the media are really uh, writing the narrative. They're really writing the narrative and they're, they're telling people to, to walk into the dark side of things and really the things of the Lord are um, in our being displaced. But we have a, a real opportunity right now. If the world is really open to uh, the, the supernatural, we get to put God's love and power on display. We can actually show that we have power over the enemy. He has no power. We can demonstrate the gospel, advance the kingdom with the authority that God has given to us. We have a real opportunity to be the church and to put God on display if we do it properly. So today we're finishing up the series Spiritual Victory. It's a series on spiritual warfare, but I call it Spiritual Victory because the enemy has lost and we have the victory. And today the title of the sermon is Dealing with the Demonic dealing with the demonic. Last week, I really gave the theology on my stance of spiritual warfare, and basically the devil is defeated. He had power all throughout the Old Testament, but Jesus died and rose from the grave, took the keys of the kingdom back, gave them to us, gave us authority. We have a new identity, we're new creations, and the enemy has completely lost. Uh, These references are not in your bulletin this morning, but 1 John 3, 8 talks about The reason the Son of Man came to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. And Hebrews 2.14, it says that Jesus rendered the devil powerless. So he's been completely defeated. And the main point last week was really that we need to make the devil a non-factor in our lives, a non-factor in our lives. Well today I want to move more towards the application aspect of spiritual warfare, spiritual victory. And the main thing I really want to bring across and this is a powerful statement that in our lives with authority we are to ignore the devil himself, but we are to take authority on his influence on earth. So the devil should be a non-factor in our lives, but he has influence over non-believers or Christians and doing some things to influence and using people's own free will against them. And so we can step in and take authority over the work, the the influence of the enemy, but we're to ignore the devil completely. And there's, I believe, an even greater need to disciple believers, disciple believers who are not fully walking in their identity or who don't truly understand their authority or possibly believe that the supernatural aspect of our faith passed away in the first century, along with the apostles, there's some some renewing of the mind that needs to take place so that we can properly advance the kingdom of God. And today, uh, the scripture I want to teach from comes out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter five. Now, in context, this this uh, chapter or this uh, the story I'm going to teach from today comes right after Jesus conquered a storm. So Jesus was asleep in a storm. He had peace. Therefore, he could have peace in the middle of a storm. And then he spoke peace. And then there was peace. And the disciples got a real wake-up call and a lesson that day saying, wow, my God has power even over the weather. And they were going from Israel, going across, really, across the Sea of of Galilee into uh, the Decapolis, which was not a Jewish region. Uh, They um, were herding swine. And it was a place without God. So it's so interesting that Jesus was leaving his hometown and moving across the the lake. And in the journey towards, which we'll see here is demonic, there was a storm. So we can see that there was an influence of the enemy, uh, a storm that wanted to prevent Jesus from bringing freedom. But nevertheless, Jesus had his his peace and the enemy didn't prevail. And we see a mighty work happen here. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read about 20 verses. I am a preacher that is not afraid to dig into the scriptures, and I'll have a few comments as we read, but there are some powerful things here that we're going to learn today about how to deal with the demonic in an obligatory way. So let's pick up in verse 1. It says they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with the chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, gnashing himself with stones. Can you imagine that? Uh, uh, Naked demonically filled man who chains can't even hold him down, screaming in the dark, in the tombs, in the cemetery, walking around. That's a pretty frightening scene. But the moment the presence of God comes out, look what happens. In verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed before him. Demons bow to the name of Jesus, to the presence of God. In verse 7, And shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you by God, do not torment me. For we have been saying to him, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? I'm going to pause here real quick because there's some ministries that they'll command a demon to say its name, to find out who the demon is. And they'll use the scripture as reference to why they do that. Now, we're not to interview demons, we're to cast them out. So when we deal with the demon, don't ask its name, don't interview. I believe Jesus was asking this demon's name to demonstrate to the disciples and other people of how many demons were in there and how much power Jesus has. So this was more of a teaching opportunity, not a, a thing of commanding us on how to do spiritual warfare. So I just wanted to mention that. Verse nine again, and he said to him, My name is the Legion, for we are many. It's about 2,000 demons. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave him permission. And coming out of the unclean spirits, entered the swine. And the herd rushed down a steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. The people came to see what had happened. When you put God's power and love on display, when you catch fire for God, people will come to see that. People will come to watch what is happening because people are hungry for the authentic. They're hungry for the real deal. They're hungry for the transformative power that they may not be aware of just yet. And in verse 15, They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and check this out, in his right mind. We're going to see about the power of a renewed mind in in just a moment. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave the region. The reason they, they asked Jesus to leave was, I believe, twofold. One, they had fear. And the second, Jesus just destroyed their herd of pigs. So their money, their things were changing in their lives because of the power of God. And rather than go to Jesus, their lives were changing and they ran away from him. So when you draw near to God, some things in your life may disappear. When you draw near to God, some things may change. Your comfort zone may may disappear when you draw closer to God. But we're not to walk away from the Lord. We're to press in even more. Verse 18, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. How incredible is that? Here's a guy who five minutes ago was possessed by 2,000 demons. Then he has one encounter with God. The love and the mercy and the grace and the power of God came upon him. And in that moment, he became an evangelist. He wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I just did something tremendous in your life. Now you need to stay here and go minister to your people. And just like that, Jesus took off. And this man became a traveling evangelist with no theological training, with, with no Bible college, with, with not even being a Christian more than five minutes. And here, Jesus tells him, you're an evangelist. Go tell about God. Go declare. So what I'm saying is that if you have a story, you have a ministry. If God has done something great in your life, you have a testimony. And we need to be trained up in our authority to know that we can take care of the demonic influence that's around us. We cannot allow the distraction of the enemy to prevent our ministry. Bottom line, I say this all the time, that the devil cannot destroy us, so he works hard to distract us. And that distraction sometimes is very effective in preventing us from ministering. So we need to be trained up. And I'm going to give us three things here that I normally do when I minister and to to those who need deliverance and I take authority over the demonic. So it's in your bulletins and if you're taking notes, point number one, if we really want to minister and deliverance, first thing, we have to have a strong mind. We need a strong mind. I heard this joke the other day, a hunter was having his rifle in the crosshairs, he had a bear and he was just about to pull the trigger But the bear stopped and said, hey, 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 you know, isn't it better to talk through these things and and not just to shoot? And the hunter puts his rifle down, confused that this bear is talking. And the bear says, let's negotiate here. What is it that you really need? And the hunter said, I need a fur coat. And that's why I'm pointing my gun at you. And the bear says, well, all I want is a meal. So why don't we sit down and we can negotiate and come up with a compromise? And so the hunter and the bear, they sit down and immediately the bear eats the hunter. And the bear thought it was a great compromise because the bear had a full belly and now the hunter was completely covered by fur. So the moral of the story is don't negotiate. Don't negotiate with the enemy. We should not have any conversation. We should not be focusing on any aspect of who the enemy is, period. And I want to read you something here. Uh, it's not in your, your bulletins. Uh, it's not in your notes, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. And it's a very popular portion of scripture. But I want to teach on something here. In verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that's the New American Standard, but there are many translations that say strongholds. So we are to step in with our authority and our power that we have from God. We are to take every thought captive, and it says that the the motivation and the fuel that we have to do those things Is that we have strongholds that could be demolished now a stronghold is basically layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of a thought so if you have layer upon layer of fear of doubt of confusion it's going to be very difficult for you to minister to those who need deliverance but if you have been putting promise after promise and truth after truth and your mind, you've built up a good stronghold of truth. And that becomes a very, very powerful thing. Now, again, the devil only has influence by lying and by speaking. But if your mind is not renewed, this is the danger. If your mind is not renewed, you can inadvertently come into an agreement or contract with the enemy. Again, he uses our power and free will against us if we come into agreement with him. But the truth and the good news to this is that if you have a renewed mind and you work at that, you're actually breaking agreements and breaking contracts that you have made with the enemy in a sense that you're renewing your mind, you're automatically coming into freedom. And that's what we need to teach everyone around us, you know, whether they're unsaved or saved or a baby Christian or a seasoned Christian, there is so much power in the renewed mind, so much power in the renewed mind. And we need to be watchful. Uh, the scriptures say in 1 Peter 5:8 that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we need to be watchful on that. But we also need to understand that the scripture says the devil prowls like a roaring lion. He is not a lion. There is only one lion, that is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But like, he's a counterfeit. And that's why we need to be watchful. The devil's so good at doing an almost truth. I mentioned, I believe last week, that you won't try to buy something with counterfeit money that looks like monopoly money. You want something that looks like an almost truth in order to convince somebody to take that bill and to get something for free. The enemy is the same way. He's trying to convince us. He's he's trying to give us an almost truth so that we can buy into his lie. So there's power in the renewed mind. And some of us may be overwhelmed because naturally our minds drift towards fear, or they drift towards confusion, or they drift towards laziness. And when we actually put the effort to renew our minds, it's like, wow, I can't believe how much I'm not thinking about God. Uh, One pastor, I remember saying, he said that he would put a penny in his shoe because he could feel that penny all day long. If you ever had a rock or a little pebble in your, your shoe, you know how annoying that is. But on the penny it says "In God We Trust," and he was dealing with some doubt. And so he walked around all day long, almost every couple of seconds, feeling that penny and being reminded to trust God. And he was overwhelmed at how often he can think about God and still go about his his day. I mean, if you can worry all day long in your cubicle at work at your computer, you can worry and stress out all day long, but still get your work done. If you can worry. And still do your work. Guess what? You can worship and still get your work done. It's all about renewing our mind. And it's work and it's discipline at first, but eventually it becomes like breeding. You know, right now my son is in high school and he, his school is all the way down to Waxahachie. And we live right behind the church here in Duncanville. And it's about a 30 minute drive no matter what route we take. And I remember in the first week or two, I discovered all the different ways that we can get to his school. I could go. 20 down to 35 and boom, I'm there in 20 minutes. I could jet across Wintergreen and down 35, be there in 25 minutes, or I can go all the way around 67 to 287 through Midlothian and it's 30, 35 minutes, but it's so much safer, so much slower. And then I even discovered that I don't even have to do that awkward transition between 67 and 287. I can actually cut across Midlothian Parkway, then get on 287 where the speed limit It's only 55 miles an hour. So I've discovered all these different avenues and I've had to use my GPS. I studied the map to find alternate places around. And now I'm at the point where if we get out of the house too late, I know I need to take the fastest route. If uh, it's raining, if there's a bad storm, I'm taking the slow route. I'm taking the easy, safe route. And now I can do it without even thinking. I don't need GPS, I just go. And I can decide in a second, which of the three or four different routes I wanna take. And see, I, I share that because renewing the mind is very similar. You know, at, at first it's, it's difficult, it's, it's a discipline, it's work. But eventually you train your brain, you work out that faith muscle in your mind, and it's natural, as natural as breathing. But if we want to see our authority in action, and really take power over the enemy, we need a strong mind. We need to do so with the renewed mind. The second thing is that we need to take authority. Take authority. That means use the power that God has given to you. That means stand in confidence over what he has declared over you, that the enemy has no power and you have all the power in heaven to do what you need to do. Now in in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus tells his disciples, I have given, past tense, I have given you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions. Nothing will harm you. And we need to understand that whatever Jesus said to his disciples, he also says to you and I, because we are disciples of Jesus. So Jesus has given us, has given, past tense, has given us uh, the authority to advance his kingdom. So you should not be apologetic. You should not be questioning. You have power that Jesus gave to you, bottom line. And we need to use that to minister to people. We need to understand also how to minister in the same way that when we pray, who are you praying to? God is three in one. Are you saying, Father, thank you for your mercy and your love. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, thank you for your wisdom and your comfort. You know, we gotta be mindful of of what aspect of the Trinity we're praying to. In the same way, when we minister to somebody who's possessed or oppressed, we need to know the background. Now, if you're a new covenant believer, you've accepted Jesus in your heart, you cannot be possessed by a demon. The uh, demon cannot take residence in you because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are wall-to-wall Holy Spirit, and light has no fellowship with darkness. So you can't be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And oppressed means that you're you're under the influence and, and your thoughts are being swayed and you're using your own free will and power against you under the influence of the enemy. So we need to understand this difference because if an unbeliever is possessed, we need to cast it out, take authority, and just simply tell that thing to go. But if the person is a believer, then we need to speak truth. We need to disciple them. There's a different way that we minister between possessed and oppressed. Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me one second. So whether you're possessed, oppressed, depressed, the goal is there's no pressing of the enemy whatsoever. And we can do so if we step forward in our authority. The other aspect is we need to let the Bible interpret Bible. We need to let the Bible speak truth of our theology of spiritual warfare, not the mistakes of others, not the definitions some churches give, not the crazy theatrics that um, are out there. Um, we need to look to the scriptures and believe what the scriptures say is true and step into that and say, if the, the Bible told me I have authority, the Bible told me I have power, I'm going to believe it with all my heart and I will not question it whatsoever. We need to have confidence when we deliver People, when we step into this ministry, confidence. Jesus said, "Heal the sick." He didn't say, "Pray for the sick." Jesus said, "Cast out demons," not ask them to leave. And I love so much how Jesus—he didn't do these long, flower, flowery, eloquent prayers, you know, using all these words. Sometimes, when he commanded a demon to be rebuked, he just said, "Go!" Exclamation point. That's it. Two letters, go, and that person was freed or be gone, or leave that man. It it was one sentence. Be healed. Be gone. I mean, just very simple things. So when you minister to those who are possessed and oppressed, don't waste your words. You know, and and even if it's in in a church where somebody's flailing around and foaming at the mouth, get some ushers who are strong, pick that person up, take them out to the lobby or the parking lot, deal with them there, because we don't want distraction. We want to get to the point, step in our authority, and have it be done with. So we need to have a strong mind, first and foremost. Don't go into a battle with a mind that's unrenewed. Then we need to know our authority, take authority, have confidence in our authority. And the final thing is what happens afterwards. Point number three, disciple those you minister to. Disciple those you minister to. In Luke chapter 11, verse 24, we see that Jesus says, when a demon is cast out, it goes around looking for waterless places. And when it finds none, it could come back to that same person, but this time with seven other demons. And I think it's absolutely hilarious that Jesus says when a demon is cast out, it looks for waterless places. But back in Mark 5, when Jesus cast out the 2,000 demons, they were drowned in water. I mean, that's just divine humor at its finest right there. But here's the warning. You cast out a demon, great but it can come back with seven more demons. So what does that mean? That means that the person who was just delivered could potentially be worse off if they're not discipled. So if you minister to somebody who is possessed and you cast that demon out, the next thing you wanna do is lead that person to the Lord automatically. Tell them this can keep happening to you. Hell is a real place. You need the saving grace of Jesus. Let me lead you to the Lord. And you give that person salvation. But if it's a believer who's been oppressed, you say, something's off here. So do you know your identity? Do you know your authority? Have you read the scriptures that you have every spiritual blessing, that you are more than a conqueror, that you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead living in you, and you minister in discipleship with that person? There is a huge need right now to disciple those who are unsaved and those who are saved and to get us trained up and a renewed mind so we really know, truly understand who we are and can minister effectively. So we need a strong mind, take authority and then build a relationship. Whoever you minister to, build a relationship with that person and help them live out their freedom. And before I pray uh, a healing prayer over us here today, um, I do want to conclude with this uh, story. A good friend of mine, that I grew up with back in San Diego. Um, He was recently saved. Um, A lady in the church led him to the Lord and they ended up getting married. It's a wonderful story. But before they were married and they were just boyfriend and girlfriend, he was living with another Christian couple, friends that he also grew up with, just renting a room from them. And one night he's talking with the husband and wife in the kitchen and behind the wife was a sliding glass door. It was already nighttime and you know, at nighttime, when your lights are on in the house, the, the windows almost act like mirrors. And he was talking to her, but behind her, he sees this dark figure of a man slowly walk by. And he turns his head real quick, and he's looking around, and the wife goes, what did you see? What did you see? Because she had been dealing with knocking and scratching on the walls and on the windows. They had seen some demonic stuff happen in their home. He goes, oh, nothing, something, something with my eyes. I, I don't know what it was. So she continued to talk, but he kept his eye focused on the glass to keep looking at what, and sure enough, that dark figure went by again. So he knew that it wasn't just his eyes playing tricks with them. It was a real deal. And he was barely saved a month or two, and it freaked him out. He literally ran out of the house, ran to his girlfriend's house, stayed there because he would not go back into that house. He was scared out of his daylights. But the positive thing about this was that he was saved. And all of us at the church uh, were able to minister to him, be able to train him up, and be able to give him the confidence to go back to that home and take authority to cast out those demons that, that influenced whatever was going on. And he never dealt with another demonic issue once again, because now he had a renewed mind and he knew how to walk in his authority. He eventually became our children's pastor and did a phenomenal job at that church for almost 10 years. And See, that's the power of what happens when we bring relationship into deliverance ministry, when we know who we are with a strong, renewed mind, when we can can take authority, but we can disciple people because we don't have to live with the influence of the enemy. Uh, Joyce Meyer used to say all the time, you don't have to live another day in misery. I love that. And it's true, you don't have to be oppressed by the enemy. You don't have to live with this influence. You can stand up exactly as God created you to be with authority and with power and to see some incredible miracles happen in your life, in our church, and in our community. We're gonna be a church that's going after revival, but people who encounter God, we will equip the saints for the work of the ministry and we will express God's love and his power to everyone around us. Well, let me conclude our time in prayer. And again, thank you so much, everyone who's here online, everybody in person, our incredible tech team, our worship team for making this service possible. But let's conclude our time in just an impartation and a a great declaration of what God wants to do this week in our church. So Father, I thank you for our people. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the power of this message here today, that we are not victims, that we have authority, We are new creations in Christ. We are beloved children of you, God. Thank you that we have a hope and a calling and a future. Thank you that we're on the winning side. Thank you, Father, that you have an answer for what's going on in our church. We thank you uh, that you you have an answer for this COVID issue. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing, healing upon my, my body and that you would give me a negative test. And on everybody who's affected, those who are on oxygen, those who are in the hospital, those who have minimal symptoms, in the name of Jesus, by your blood, thank you that by your stripes we were healed. We receive your healing here this morning, God. We step into, with faith, a powerful declaration that we will return to church, that we will be free of this affliction, that this pandemic will go away. Use us, God, to be a testimony of your healing. Use us, Father, to be an example of encouragement and confidence and of a strong hope. We love you, Lord, and we trust that you're doing powerful things. We're going to seek you and take us where you want to lead us. We love you, Lord. Now, bless and protect and fill us all up that we step into this new week with power, with confidence, with joy, and with hope. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church family. I'm praying for you all, praying you have a wonderful week. And in the name of Jesus, I will see you next Sunday. God bless.